great to see all of you, and um, thank you, Jerry, Amy, for the uh, announcements and all the things that are coming up, and there's something very festive about just having a grill going, whatever you're grilling, right? And we're looking forward to lunch today. We want everyone to stick around and uh, enjoy and um, have a good time, and I think there's a train for the kids. Grown-ups can ride it if you really want to, and uh, there's a jump house Definitely for the kids only, all right? So some fun stuff going on today. I do want to make a quick announcement before I jump in. You know, since uh, last fall, we started off our Build a House campaign to look for something permanent. This is one of the places we looked at, all right? And um, uh, just in giving you a little bit of an example that will help us to uh, understand what we're trying to get. So this is a building out in Orange that we looked at, we were interested in. They're asking around a little under $6 million. Um, and man, by God's grace, we've come up with all, uh, little, just about $250,000. And the, um, so many of you gave sacrificially. And I know it wasn't um, like you just had a you know $10,000 laying around or $20,000 laying around, and people gave whatever amount it was, and so I wanted to thank you for that. That was our initial first fruits, and we're going to continue. Um, we're looking at trying to get, um, for the typical bank loans and all of this, you need about a third to put down, and so you do the math, and you know, if we can get up to somewhere around $2 million or $1.8 or whatever it is, and you put that down, and then you have a mortgage, right? It's a little different than a house mortgage. Um, it's not a 30-year loan, whatnot. And a lot of you know this better than I do. But um, we're excited. We're continually praying and looking and scouring. And so uh, if you have, you know, $2 million laying around, that would be great. If you have a building, if that's your building, that would be great. If you go, oh, my gosh, that's my dad's uh, little office, um, that would be great. Um, but really, what would be great is everyone's prayer, everyone being all in on this, and, um, you know, we look forward to having our own space and um, having our children grow up in church and uh, learning about God in a permanent space, so please keep that in mind and in your prayers, and, um, you know, we look forward to that, all right? Um, today is what's in the church world called Palm Sunday. It's the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem, and they were waving their palms, and they were celebrating Hosanna. The one who saves has come. And so it was this big day for uh, Jesus and his disciples that he came. And today we look at this passage, and I wanted to share this passage because it is Palm Sunday and because we're talking about the importance of the church and whatnot, how Jesus came, why he came, and what that does for us, right? And he, he uses here, Apostle Paul uses two very extreme examples on the far end of the spectrum to get this point across, that Jesus had brought us near to him. He has given us access to him. And the illustration he uses is, he says, you guys were now uh, aliens and strangers. He's talking about someone who does not have citizenship. Someone who is on the outside looking in. And so, I don't know about you, if you've ever visited another country or another part of the world, and you travel, you get there, you're a foreigner. And people will ask you, where are you from? Right? What are you doing here? And you feel like a foreigner because when you go, and I remember the times that I do travel, um, and they have 
especially like things like politics and what's going to happen and the taxes. I don't care, right? I don't care who wins. I don't care where that money goes because that's not my home. And even if I did care, I have no say in the matter. And so this is the illustration that Paul uses. He said, before Christ, you were on the outside. You were like strangers. You were like aliens outside. But because of Christ, and he came and he preached peace, peace between God and man. And when you find your faith in Christ, he now draws you very close. And the other, the furthest extreme of a stranger is what? Family. He says you're in the same household. You are now sharing your home together. You are one. And so he uses that example. He uses also the example of uh, the temple. Back in the day for the Jew, the temple was the place that represented the uh, presence of God. And so you wanted to draw closer to the temple. The holy room, if you can get closer and closer, it was more esteemed in that way. But the Gentiles were not allowed. And so they'd be on the outside. So this whole idea about trying to get to the temple, who gets access, who has proximity. And then he explains that you are the temple. You are the building. And so he takes both extreme uh, examples to get this point across. You were strangers and aliens. Now you become the household of God. You who couldn't even access the temple, now you have become the temple. All of this happens because of what Christ has done for us on this Palm Sunday. And so we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at and go through the verses and the examples of that, and then uh, what that entails for us as a church. What are some applications at, at the end? Right? First part, you look at verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. It's interesting, he uses this idea of bringing people close. Those who are far off are what the, in the New Testament are called the, the Gentiles, the non-Jews. The Gentiles were further off. Those who were near were the Jews. He says he's brought them all together here. Uh, one of the commentators, William Barclay, talks about the rabbis, how they would speak of accepting a convert into Judaism, and the language that they use is this idea of being brought near. Someone is being brought near. And so Paul uses that same language to get this across to us. And so in the temple, there would be the, the areas that certain you know, select could go to, where the women were not allowed in. And then on the outside, on the court, they would have the court of the Gentiles. So if you were not ethnically a Jew, you could still come to the temple, but you were far away. You were at the court of the Gentiles, and you would be standing off there. And it says in verse 18, For through him we, have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. He highlights this point about access, to have access to the Father. That before our faith in Christ, we didn't have access to the Father. And sometimes we assume things. We think, boy, God loves everyone. Anyone could go to God anytime they want. Yes and no, right? The Bible is filled with the wrath of God, the anger of God, the judgment of God. The story of the, uh, Adam and Eve at the Garden of Eden, they are banished because of their sin. An angel is guarding them with the sword, so they cannot enter. They do not have access. And so how we gain access is the problem that all humanity faces. How can I get to God? And here it's this picture, for through him we both have access in one spirit. 
We have access. Our world, we see this everywhere we go. You get on a plane, they put up that little curtain. You don't have access to the business class. You are in the back, right? But they, that, that, that curtain that they put up is just thin enough with gaps. You could see what they're eating and drinking, and they're sitting, and boy, life is good, and you want to sit up there. You can't even use the bathroom up there, right? You don't have access. Some of you who go, you know, as uh, baseball season has started, you're going to go to your Angels games and Dodgers games. There is that section that you might not have access to. I will admit, I've been to many games where I try to sneak down um, and uh, been sent away by someone in a vest. You don't have access. Let me see your ticket. Go back up. Please, let me just take a picture down here so I can post it on my Instagram so people think I sat here. No. Okay, I'll just zoom in and make it look like I was sitting there, right? Um, there is no access. You cannot get in. And this is the, the gospel message, is that Christ has allowed us access to God. You can pray and He hears. Uh, you can have faith and he, he allows you to trust in Him. And He has a relationship. So, what happens now is you see the language. And here's the language we talked about. It starts with the negative side, with the strangers. Right? Non-citizens. That have become now family. Look at um, verse 19. We see that we are no longer strangers and aliens. So it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. You are no longer strangers and aliens. Uh, stranger, xenos. Here sometimes today you hear that word xenophobia. Fear of stranger. Someone who is an outsider. Someone who doesn't know the customs. Someone who doesn't belong. Someone who is not part of the group of the insiders. And this is described, used to describe foreigners. Foreigners that would come to visit. They would have no rights to vote. They would have, uh, they would lack privileges. And uh, they were considered outsiders. And so they couldn't do a lot of things. And basically, it's describing someone who is technically homeless. They might have a home, but it is temporary. They might have an address, but it could not be their own. They had to register back in the day under someone else's name. And so you are an outsider trying to come in. And this is what a stranger was. And he says, before Christ, you were a stranger to God. You were on the outside looking in. You didn't have access to God. Another word that is used is alien. Alien. Alien is used, the word is to describe someone who dwells nearby a city. They live nearby. And so this would happen often and near the city walls where people would have business and they would live nearby, but they were still an alien. They would come to do business. They would come to do work. And you see this especially in today in border towns and people would go back and forth across the border regularly to do work. They might live there for a little bit. They might travel there for work and whatnot. But they did not have a citizenship there. And so this restricted them in a lot of ways and they were still considered outsiders. This is the person that people would ask, where are you from? What are you doing here? And he takes those words to describe our status before Christ. We use the term heaven and 
being God's people, we use it so lightly and we just throw it out there, but it was a, a, something very difficult. It was something impossible. And religion all throughout history have been trying to figure this out. Do good, meditate, go and do something extreme, give something away, prove yourself to be worthy of God. And you still weren't, and there was a problem. And Jesus comes, pays the price. We put our faith in him, and now we gain access. And so it says this. Now, on the positive side, we are fellow citizens and members of the household of God, right? Um, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and angels, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Let's pause there for a moment. Fellow citizens we are. Who are we fellow citizens with? And that's the first question that comes out. Fellow citizens with who, with who? What city, what group of people can I say are my fellow citizens? It is who? The saints. The Old Testament saints. Think about all the people that you remember, that you look up to. The heroes of our faith. The ones that we name our children after. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joshua, Moses, Paul, Mary, Martha, Esther. All of these saints... We are now fellow citizens. And it is no longer that they have a certain access and we are on the outside. Now we are with them. What a humbling thought that is. And we will go one day and meet them face to face. Say, Did you know I was named after you? Did you know that, boy, the caricature I saw of you on Sunday, you looked a lot better than you know, how you look in person. And we're going to have this kind of access, and we're going to be worshiping the Lord together in this way. The second description we see here is the household of God. Members of the household of God. You're living together. You're eating together. You're considered family. How many people do we give access to our house to, right? Here's the key. Here's the code to get into our house. Uh, that is a privilege. And we say, boy, you can come in. That is the extreme opposite of now the alien or the stranger. You are now eating and sleeping and in my house. You are part of my household. And this is the work that Christ has done. So we don't live in the servant's quarter. We don't live where the slaves might live. We live in the house. We are part of the house. We are in the family. And this is a great privilege. And we look at this. And now he goes to this example of the temple. So stay with me here. Paul uses several pictures for us to get this across. Remember the temple. The Gentile couldn't even get near. They would be shooed away. Hey, you guys go over there. That's the court for the Gentiles. How dare you try to come in really close? And there would be people guarding us that you can't come in. And God's presence was supposed to be there. I want to get close. You can't. And then he flips that around now onto the extreme opposite. You are the temple. Not only do you have access, you are part of the building. And he uses the picture of a stone and a cornerstone and we are built into this. Some practical thoughts on this, and I want to share three thoughts about this, right? Number one is that we are built on the cornerstone. This cornerstone, Jesus is described as a cornerstone. We're now in this picture of uh, uh, building the temple, building the house of God. And here it says Jesus is the cornerstone. Don't forget the cornerstone. 
Don't forget that you belong to this temple. You belong to this house. Don't forget the temple. It says here in verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This is speaking about the church, the people of God. The cornerstone of the church is Jesus Christ, and we have to remember this. A cornerstone, we, we use that often, but we don't really think about what it entails. A cornerstone was where the house would first get started. It was the strongest. It was positioned in the most important on the corner that everything was now built around it. It connected both parts. Most of the weight of the structure would be on the cornerstone. It was so that uh, significant, the cornerstone, that royal families would have their names inscribed on the cornerstone that archaeologists would find. So the cornerstone was the main part of the house. And everything else is built around it, on top of it, connected to it. This means as we gather here as a church, this isn't Steve's church or someone else's church. This is the Lord's church. And so our focus is on the Lord. He's the head of the church. Uh, and so our culture changes today. Our culture change is changing so quickly in the last 10 years, 20 years. You think about that. But Jesus Christ hasn't changed. His words haven't changed. We, we can't follow along with our culture. We need to stick with the one who is the cornerstone, the foundation. And so we go to his word. We, we sing about him from his word. We learn what to do and how to live from his word. It is about him. It is not about man. It is not about mankind. Uh, many get caught up today in trying to think, how can I please everyone around me? And so you might go to church and you hear, boy, it's just good rock music that everyone knows. It's cool. A message sounds more like a pep talk from Tony Robbins about how to live and how to enjoy life. And it's about me. But really, it's about the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, who does not change, who is the same yesterday, today, forever. So we're built on that. The hallmark of a good church is not the kids are having a good time. The youth is strong and they have a lot of them. The men, you know, they do physical stuff. You know, no, it's not just the hallmark of a good church. More than that, it is based on the word of Christ. Is Christ magnified? Is Christ glorified? Is his mission our mission? Is his words our source of direction and inspiration? Is who he is matter more than anyone else? Is he the head of this church? And he is. And so we think about that and we put it into practice. Secondly, is that we as a people are now joined together. Be joined together. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, it says. Being joined together. It uh, sounds a little awkward in the English. It's in the present tense in the original language. It's a continual process. Keep joining together. Stay joined together. You're going to be joining together tomorrow and next week. It's a nonstop, continual action. So there is no lone stone. So the picture here is people are like lone stones, random stones, near the water, near the mountains. And the person putting this temple together would go and look for the right stone that would fit. Oh, it's good shape. It's a strong stone. They would bring it. Until you are brought into this 
structure. You're just a lone, random stone. Alone. But once you are brought in, you are no longer a stone. You are now a house. You are now a temple. You are part of a structure. It says, gather together. Gosh, COVID has made this really awkward for us. Um, especially in the beginning parts when we didn't know much. Remember when we were wiping down groceries, right? Remember those days? Um, and you're just like, everyone stay away, right? Stay away. Um, we're called to be joined together. I remember our first Christmas during the lockdown, we said a Christmas together, right? We were trying to watch the worship service together simultaneously. Um, and there would be a sense of somehow, a sense of togetherness, even though we were separated, but it's created habits in us. Um, it's made us uh, socially a little bit tired. You know, there's a book by Mark Dunkelman called The Vanishing Neighbor. And it says this is the, how we are today. And in the book, he talks about all of us now have a close group of family and friends. These are your close people. These are the people you will have dinners with, parties with, and so on. And then we skip the secondary part, the neighbors, the church friends, the acquaintances maybe, and we go just straight to our social media collection of people, acquaintances that are there. You might wish them happy birthday, but they don't expect you to take them out for lunch for their birthday. Uh, you might like one of their pictures, but uh, you're not going to go and take that picture with them in person. And it's kind of this loose affiliation. I met them 10 years ago. I knew them from college. Oh, I knew that's my friend's friend's husband or whatever. And you have this loose affiliation. And he says, basically, uh, Dunkelman's arguing, we're missing the middle part. The neighbor is vanishing. And the value of that is so important that we are missing this middle ring of community, whether it is the church, whether it is our neighbors, that we now forsake them all. And we go for our inner circle, and then whoever is just on our social media. But we, as a church, are called to care and love our neighbors. So be joined together. Let me encourage you. Join a community group. If you are an introvert, extrovert, join a community group, right? Communicate together, talk together, listen to one another. You know, you think about the modes, the so many numerous modes of communication and how little we communicate today. It's kind of sad. You have so many ways you could talk to someone, but boy, we barely talk to people. Some of you remember, I remember the days where you had to go to a phone that was attached to a wire or attached to the wall and you had to make a call, right? I remember in high school, if I wanted to call someone, I had to dial the number and back then, I used to memorize like a 50 to 100 phone numbers. All my friends, I knew it by heart. And I'd call. Right now, I barely remember like two phone numbers, right? And i call. And you call. And you got to learn some manners because oftentimes it is their father or mother who would answer the phone. So you got to say, oh, hi, yeah, this is so-and-so. How are you, Mr. So-and-so? I was wondering if uh, so-and-so is there. And, uh, you know, if you didn't have manners, right, and you call, hey, Sharon there, click, you know, like, you, you, they would have to deal with that, right? Uh, no, she doesn't talk after 6 p.m., click, click. Um, and so we'd have to deal with that, and we would set up, all right, we're going to meet next Friday at 5 o'clock, 
but we're going to go to Denny's, all right? Yeah, Denny's. Okay, good. And then you're there, man. There's no changing. There's nothing. And then I remember in the 90s, this thing called the pagers came along, right? I mean, it was kind of cool to have one because it was no longer just the drug dealers, right? It was like, I had one. And we would, we would type things in and amongst friends. And if you put your phone number, all you needed was a pager. Some of you don't know. It's like, what's a pager? Pager and some dimes and you're set, right? Because if they would page you, they're saying, you got to call them back on this number. And I remember me and my friends, we would do this. If, you, if they would put 911. Because you remember their phone number already. And they put 911. It's emergency. i got to call them right away. Especially in college days most of the time. And you pull over on the freeway and pull out my dimes. And what's going on? You said 911. I just want to see if you want to go to Denny's. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that's important. All right, I'll see you there, right? And then we'll go there. Um, we had that. We communicated. And then came, I remember email. It was fascinating. I'm like, you're telling me. I type into this screen. I push send. And they get it instantly. And what did we do? We sent emails. And I remember sending emails and then uh, right, uh, with a paging them to let them know, hey, I just sent you an email. Make sure you check. This is pretty cool. AOL, you got to check. And it was like, hey, how are you? Ha, ha, ha. Send it. Did you get it? You got it? Oh, all right, we got it. All right. And then came the cell phone. Get a plan from like, a, you know, Singular or whatever company there was, and you get like 30 minutes a week talk time. Or you would get, remember that, they would charge you, oh, it would be like, you know, 20 bucks a minute if you go over that 30 minutes. And so you would keep track of the minutes. I remember keeping track of the minutes, and every conversation was about 10 seconds long. Hey, I'll be there. Okay, then I'm running 30 minutes up, and you hang up because you don't want to go over your minutes. And you, what, we, what did we wish for? If only I could speak unlimited. Wouldn't that be great? Now look at us. I still get pretty amazed by FaceTime. I still tell, you know, my daughter's like, this is amazing. This is like Star Wars, man. It pops up and you talk and they're like, yeah, it's been around there. But it just pops up live. And you could use Facebook, you could use Instagram, you could use Kakao, you could use whatever things that you might use to communicate at any time. And what do we do? We don't talk to each other. You got to send a text to say, can I call you, right? And sometimes you text someone, and then it says that they read it, but they don't reply to you. But you're like, they read it two hours ago. Are they going to come to my party or not? And then you look at it, and all of a sudden, the little dots appear. Oh, my gosh, they're typing. I wonder if they're going to come. I wonder if they're going to come. And then the dots stop, and they don't say anything, right? And I'm like, oh, that's the world we live in. It will probably get even worse. Where we screen everyone, block everyone, I don't want to see. I don't want them to get in touch with me. I don't want to hear someone. I don't want to have to sit and listen to uh, someone. These are souls. These are people in front of us. We are called to gather together, to be joined together. There's all these one another Bible verses, right, that we know. One another Bible verses. I wanted us to... Read a few of them together. Romans 12, 10. Let me shoot that up. Let's read this out loud together. One, two, three. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 15, 7. Let's read together. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. First Thessalonians 5, 11. 
Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Last one, Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stir up one another in love, to love and good works. In order to do these one another's, in order to fulfill what the cornerstone of the church wants us to do, we have to join together. And so we gather on Sundays, we gather first day of the week, the first hours of the day we want to spend time with God, but we gather and we do this corporately. Not only do we join together, we grow together. This is my last point. Growth happens, learning happens when we are together. We get this mixed up with just random trivia I could Google or ask Siri. Oh, I could ask and I could figure out how old is this thing? How tall is someone? You don't grow from trivial knowledge. You grow from wisdom. You grow in life. You learn from others. And it says here in verse 21 of our text, right, whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Again, the word grow is in the present tense. You are growing into a temple. It's like as if this building, the rocks are alive. And First Peter talks about living stones. You are stones that are living. You are expanding. We say it can't be stones are, don't grow. But this is the picture that we are somehow growing. And we are changing. And some of you who, you know, work on your house and you're changing your house. Your, your house and everything is your, the decor, the bathroom, and things, boy, it looks like it's from the 90s. I need to change it, or this doesn't work. And it is continually being worked on. The building is being remodeled. It's being changed. This is what we are talking about. Growth happens as we learn from each other, especially through our pain. So let me encourage you, those of us in pain, which is all of us, there's two choices. We withdraw or we go forward and we grow. If you withdraw, what happens oftentimes is that pain that is not transformed, someone says, pain that is not transformed is what transmitted. You become cynical. Become kind of mean. Become kind of, uh, you know, uh, antisocial in a way. But if we grow through the process of even our pain, we are now able to help. You know, there's that phrase, hurt people hurt people. It's hurt people who will hurt others. And they have some kind of pain. But if we go through and we progress and we grow through our pains, and that happens when we come together and we share and we open up, there is no impressing someone in your household, a family household. Right? You might impress someone you don't know, but when you are in the same household here, there is no impressing others. Our church, church has enough years behind it. All the pastors and stuff. They, Pastor John has been with me since day one. Pastor Sam came the first year. There's no impressing. Maybe the first year we were all trying to impress each other. Wow. Wow. That was, oh, that was good. You know, wow. You know that? And now there's no impressing. Sometimes it's depressing. No, I'm just kidding. But right, it's right? Um, right. Like, oh, there he goes again with those jokes. How depressing, right? There he goes. Um, 
Richard Rohr had said that uh, someone who goes through this is like a, that there is a, and he quotes, a bright sadness, a bright sadness. Someone who might be going through a difficult time. They come together with the people. They're transparent. They open up and they grow in this way. There was a study done um, by a professor at the University of Chicago. Um, he noticed that no one, he was on the, on the train going to work. No one's talking to each other. Everyone's looking down. Airbuds on and everyone's looking down. Not one human's talking to each other. And he was a behavioral science professor and he did a study on this and their whole group did a study. And they said, they asked people, would you talk to a stranger in a waiting room or on a train? And 7% said, I would. 93% said, no, I wouldn't. And they asked them, do you think you would enjoy it? And just about that many percent said, no, I probably wouldn't enjoy it. And so part of the experiment was they had to now go into these situations, record how they felt about it, go and talk to a stranger. Hey, how's it going? Where are you headed? Oh, I see you're wearing a, an angel's hat, right? Oh, man, are you an angel's fan? And they would talk. And after they would talk, they would record how they felt about it. And it was flip-flop. Everyone, including introverts, said, it was good. It was positive. I enjoyed talking. I learned something from someone. And it was positive in this way. It's Tim Keller who says, everyone says they want community and friendship, but when that means accountability or commitment, people run the other way. Don't we see this today? People in the secular world are hooking up with someone, no commitment, when it comes to just even a, a church gathering, do I have to do something? Do I have to sign up for this thing? Are you going to force me to go? I don't want any commitments. I don't want anyone to infringe on me because my life, it's about me. No, your life happens when you are connected with others as a living stone of the temple of God. And so I want to encourage us today. We are the church of Jesus Christ the cornerstone of our faith, and we come together. We gather together. And I love our church at this point, man, multi-generational people in there, you know, you know just multi-generational. I don't want to call out people's ages and all that, right? Um, but, man, just, you know, older than me, right? And younger than me. And it, it's wonderful that we could come together as the body of Christ, we who were outsiders, we who were now strangers are brought into this family because of the faith we put in Christ. How foolish would it be to be invited into the family and to go back out and live out in the tent outside the walls when I'm part of this family? Let's pray together. Could we, uh, Lord, we thank you uh, that we have so much in Christ. The joy that we have in you, with you, with your people, that we could grow together and bring glory to your name, cornerstone of our faith. We thank you, God. And so would you be with us here? I thank you for everyone here. Lord God, help us to live for something greater than ourselves. Help us to, Lord, put ourselves out there. Be vulnerable. Open up. Share our pains, our stories, and see others grow from that. So, Lord, would you use us in this way? Uh, we thank you so much, God, for you, Jesus Christ, bringing us near, bringing us close into your household. What a, what a privilege that is. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.